Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Coffee Chat. And I know our timing is a little bit off today, but that's okay because we're working with people in a lot of new zones, and so we're kind of changing up our times a little bit. Just a reminder that every Coffee Chat will always be available for replay here on Facebook. So today we are welcoming live from Tirana in Albania, our new friend, Elton. Hello, Elton. Good morning or good evening to you. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Yes, this is good evening here. Actually, it's uh, uh, what uh, uh, eight past 20 past eight. Actually, it, we were supposed to start at eight. I apologize. I mean, Albania has very good Internet connection, everything. One thing that Albania doesn't have is an Elton Chaushi like me, which is good at technology. So it's all my fault. Apologies for that. So just as a little review for those of you who didn't see our live stream yesterday with Andrew, um, just to reintroduce you to Elton. Elton is a local guide in Albania and uh, he and Andrew have befriended each other and they're traveling around Albania doing some planning and, and thinking about running, uh, putting together some Albania tours that Andrew and I can run together in the future. Uh, and so because Andrew was there, I thought it would be really fun just to dive into getting to know Albania a little bit since that's a place a lot of people don't know much about. Uh, and Elton, as we talked about yesterday, is actually named after Elton John, <laughs> which do your parents like Elton John? They must, right? My parents, I doubt they listen a lot to Elton John. It was not allowed to listen to Elton John. You could go to jail for doing that, you know, so, uh, but, you know, they knew the name and they probably heard a couple of his bits on the radio. Here, what used to happen in the 70s when I was born is that there was a you know, the Beatles were great probably, but always secret. And there was a, a strong influence coming from Italy. But in 1976, when I was born, it was just the year when uh, they broke their very strong relationship with uh, a brother, a big brother, which was far away from us and with which we had very little connections, let's say traditionally, and it was called China and the leader was called Mao Zedong. And, you know, like, uh, uh, it was a moment when just because to do some, you know, in despite of all these relationships with earlier the USSR and then China, we people thought that, uh, you know, oh, they broke with China, so there is no other communist friends to make, so they will probably uh, turn into the West. And that's a moment when people started naming Elton and Elvis and, you know, like some Edwards and Edmonds. It was important not to name your children after religious, religious uh saints that was what they wanted and probably they managed for a while wow so um just to kind of give everybody a little bit of background on albania um you don't maybe you don't know where albania is but what is fascinating is that it's as we talked about yesterday sort of like a hole in the consciousness of people who travel because it's surrounded by all these fantastic destinations it's directly across the the sea from italy it is directly south of croatia it's bordered with greece it's in this really magnificent area and it has to obviously be a magnificent country but we just don't know much about it because it has been closed to tourism for most of my life so this is kind of a new and up and coming destination and you're kind of on the the sort of avant-garde of this aren't you um opening up tourism in albania to uh americans in particular right yeah yeah i mean uh let's say that we started opening uh, there was communism which fall here in december 1990 officially but then it took communism you know somehow the next 10 years to get away from our everyday life and everything you know the country was full of slogans and it was full of bunkers and what is the deepest and the most secret or the most difficult thing to get rid of in communism was our brain you know because it was deep in our 
education. They were good. They had built this uh, brainwashing machine, which uh, I think still nowadays, after 30 years, it's somehow, you know, like uh, uh, jungling and trying to stay around. Only time will probably heal this. And uh, it's not easy to, you know, again, get rid of it. It was a very brutal version of it. Albania had this dictator whose name was Ember Hoja. He was, let's say, the, uh, 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 you know, he made of the country, especially after he broke with uh, China, which happened in 1976, but let's say a bit earlier than that. He made this country a North Korean kind of uh, country, you know, where uh, we were the only good ones. There was no good communists in the East. Of course, in the West, everybody was a capitalist and an imperialist and an evil guy. And uh, so we were supposed to be the leading light for the revolution. And, uh, you know, Amber Hoja told us that, uh, you know, there will be a revolution and the whole globe will follow the example of Albania into, you know, a new society where, I mean, he was, I mean, on paper, it was interesting, you know, like uh, it's gonna, there's gonna be equality, there's going to be, they told us what's communism, you know, like this was also a joke a little bit, like what's communism? Communism is that kind of uh, society where you work as much as you can and you take as much as you need. So, you know, it didn't sound so bad. The thing is that we worked as much as we could in the beginning, but we took very little or almost nothing in the beginning. Then with the years, people understood that, you know what, let's pretend like we're working and they will pretend like they're paying us. And this was also like how it ended. And, uh, you know, it all was like a paradoxical kind of a, kind of a society and the lifestyle. Uh, definitely, you know, like, uh, I mean, we were watching Italian television and you could see so much from the rest of the world. We had these Yugoslav neighbors, which unlike us, although they were communists, they were open and they were friends with the Americans, with the Japanese, with the Israelis, with the South Africans, with everyone in the world, loved Yugoslavia, especially when Tito was alive and uh, he was leading it. Uh, and there was something fantastic with Yugoslavia that they had these televisions that secretly we could capture. You know, we could make some aluminum, Oh, we've got a little technical technical Montana secretly can you hear me um, you can yeah, hear me kind of kind of yeah oh kind of you... okay how about now yeah okay we can hear you now okay uh there was something really spectacular in our lives in the let's say mid 80s which i remember pretty well i was about 10 years old at that time so conscious enough every thursday afternoon if you had the right kind of antenna on the yugoslav television they were showing dynasty the american <laughs> opera and uh, you know it was it was an event i remember that uh, we would organize just as we do nowadays when there is a big football match we will just or get organized so that there's another 12 cousins or family friends. So we watch it together. It's like a football match. You know, you need to be able to comment it like, uh, uh, oh, there's all these pools and all these blonde, beautiful ladies and these Ferraris and these guys are so rich and powerful. It was a bit for us like a, a way to travel, you know, in the free world and to dream and everything. So this was fantastic so far. The problem is that watching Dynasty and having not many explanations and no other ways of understanding how it worked in the West, let's say in the America or in, the, or in uh, Western Europe, 
we thought that this is going to be what life will be, you know, for each one of us, uh, our life will be like on dynasty. Every one of our families will have enough money to have that kind of lifestyle, you know, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, we were almost uh, pretending it. Uh, when communism came to the end of its days, you know, like a, a gossip circulated around Albania and they were saying like, oh, the Americans will come and every one of us will have a blind check. They will give us, uh, will be signed. And uh, I believe we started to build a sort of a dream like uh, we will be able to write the amount of money that we need so that our life has a dynasty, you know, feeling. Um, it didn't happen. Actually, like in 1992, this was quite a first delusion, let's say, with the opening of the country. I remember uh, Mr. James Baker came to Albania and, you know, he saluted and he said like, oh, congratulations on the freedom and the, the United States will be near you, will always support you. So don't worry, don't worry. And, you know, like I remember I'm not very far uh, from the main square here where he gave this speech. And we say here in Albania, there was no room to throw an apple, the square, which is not small. It was so busy with people. And I remember the slogan, we would shout like with these fingers, like Baker, Baker, Tie Bota, which means uh -huh. Baker for the world. And uh, in watching the news in the evening, I remember that there was kind of a delusion and we recalled our mathematical skills. They say like, oh, uh, Mr. Baker said this and that. And uh, uh, he also brought a gift for the Albanian nation. And they said he left $6 million. You know, three million people, six million dollars. You do the calculation, and it's two dollars for each one of us. Although Albania <laughs> was very cheap at that time, and you know, like we were very poor, but two dollars they would not make a dynasty lifestyle. I don't think that you're going to be buying a palace that way. Can I just ask you real quickly, though? I I just don't understand, and I don't know, and I think the people watching as well don't really know sort of the scope of, of Albanian history. How did you end up with communism? I mean, I think that, so the question is, like if we go back to let's say like 1900, what was the situation and what led up to the institution of a communist government? And uh, well, with uh, yeah. China and not the Soviet Union? This is my son, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, I mean, Albania came, I, I mean, until the 15th century, more or less, you know, Albania was Venetian, Albania was in the Mediterranean, in the Adriatic Sea, somehow, until the Americas were discovered and the Ottomans came so deep in the Adriatic and Europe, you know, Albania was on the developed side of Europe. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had uh, the Renaissance and all these influences, not the Renaissance, but let's say that the, in the end of the Middle Ages, this was not an underdeveloped part of the world. Then the Ottomans came, and, uh, you know, it came, it was very brutal in the first century or so, you know, like uh, they tried to, the first invasion was decimating the population, the diseases, the slavery and everything. Then, you know, little by little, as we had done, you know, 1,500 years earlier with the Romans, we brought our skills of adoption and we adopted, you know, but we still were the far west for the Ottoman Empire as we had been earlier for the Byzantine Empire. So less investments, but, you know, a few possibilities for Albanians to eventually, if they accepted to convert into Islam, they could build up a, a, a career in the Ottoman Empire. Many of us took that possibility. Okay. Uh, but, you know, like the, two, the last 200 years of the Ottoman Empire, they had these wars with the Russians, with the British, with the French, with everyone. And, uh, you know, it was total corruption. So when in 1912, we gained our independence, the economy was bankrupt, the country had absolutely had been 
taken away from any Western influences or almost all Western influences and development and economical, you know, growth and technical revolution, all these things, they were almost non-existent. This was a very rural society with very urban, very small urban development, let's say, in country, but not everywhere. And, uh, you know, yeah, 1912, independence after 500 years. So beautiful days are going to come. No, just a few days later, Balkan Wars. And then just a few months later, World War I. We had no army, but this was a great place for a battlefield. So the Austro-Hungarians came on one side and the Italians on the other and the Serbs on the other and the French on the other. So they all clashed, not just in Albania, but in the whole, this part of the Balkan region, you know, like this was a practically European war. <coughs> Sorry, and it ended. And of course it left the country devastated, even more devastated than before. But then we had this guy, he was, uh, he was, uh, he built a career, you know, like uh, we just had uh, lunch with Andrew in one of his properties. His mom was a powerful, rich uh, uh, Ottoman girl, let's say from an Ottoman family. His father was a man, typical traditional man from Northern Albania, you know, with a lot of power and guns and, you know, with a sort of uh, influence. And this guy, which was called Ahmed Zogoli, he managed to go and study in Istanbul and then in Vienna. And he came back and he was a minister of interior affairs and then the president of Albania. And then in 1928, with the help of Mussolini, which had some plans for this part of the world, he managed to convince the Albanian parliament that we needed more stability. So they voted for a monarchy and from the president of Albania, he became King Zog the first of the Albanians. So we had the king and until 1939, then World War II. The Italians, Mussolini, which brought him in power, he overthrew him from power. And the Italians came and invaded Albania, not because of the Albanian gold or the Albanian jewels, or, but because Albania geographically is a great place from where to expand in the Balkans. And this is the direction to Istanbul or Constantinople earlier on. So this is a good shortcut between Italy and, the, and Southeastern Europe. And that's where Mussolini was interested in. So, Immediately, a few year, weeks after he invaded Albania, he had launched an attack against Italy, against Greece, sorry. And uh, there is this big Italo-Greek war, quite tragic, you know, it happens in our territory. Of course, it doesn't help the economy or the development or anything. 1943, Mussolini capitulates. Meanwhile, there had been, with the help of Yugoslavs and eventually with the help of the British and the English and the, the Americans, which were trying to kill any fascist or Nazi around Europe, you know, they tried to support uh, the, the, the birth of a resistance. And uh, that's how the communists, you know, started to rise up in the uh, scene. And we know exactly, you know, how many golden sovereigns and how much gold and help and how many droppings, air droppings have come, especially from the UK, but also from the US. You know, we know the names of all these guys. There's now a lot of documents about what happened. And let's say that this guy, well, I have many pictures of him in different moments, but uh, um, there is this guy here. He is, you know, a, a lot later on here. And he becomes, you know, in 1944, young, handsome, you know, charming, very good French speaker. Uh, he is the right person to lead a new Albania, you know, which, uh, which will follow the Second World War, I told you, with British and US money and support and, you know, technical advice and everything. Well, the very first thing that he does, instead of, you know, being, you know, supporting our allies and our friends, uh, he decides that he needs Stalin's sympathy. So what he does is that he asks the, to both the British and the American missions here to leave Albania 
And, you know, he invents all sorts of stupid reasons for that. Uh, he will accuse them of being spies or anything. Meanwhile, you know, in Yalta, there is this throw of the dice, practically. And there is a Churchill, uh, Roosevelt and Stalin, and they are sharing the world. And uh, Churchill makes it clear that, listen, Greece is not a discussion. So Greece is going to be ours. Meanwhile, in Greek, there is a, a civil war between nationalists and communists. So, you know, like uh, it was not for sure Greek, Greece could have been also a Marxist and, uh, and a communist dictator, but Churchill made it clear. Uh, Yugoslavia, well, Tito, he was too much attached to Stalin. So yes, this was obviously on the Eastern side of the world. Albania, you know, just because of Tito, pro probably because Tito had probably negotiated with Stalin that, listen, one day I'll integrate this country into Yugoslavia. And so I can make it a bit larger and eventually I can control those valleys, which assure, which are the interesting thing in Albania that go east or west, and then the, these bays, which are pr perfectly protected and which will allow, you know, the control of the entrance or the exit in the Adriatic Sea, which is an important part of the Mediterranean. So that's how it ended, you know, like by being, uh, by being part of the Eastern Bloc, not because Albanians were communists or left-sided or anything. Albanians would have taken anything. The country was, as I said, you know, like a it didn't have time to develop. It didn't have time to develop a, a proper educational system. Although the will was there and uh, you know the efforts and everything, but uh, it was not meant to be. He came to power. What he did is that, yes, he invested a lot you know, in logistics, infrastructure, first the Yugoslavs, then Stalin, then Khrushchev, and then Mao Zedong, they gave him plenty of money. They invested money here. They built up an industry very stupidly for a, nation of two and a half million we try to make our own own buses our own kalashnikovs our own uh, tractors and everything something which doesn't make really sense right uh, i was showing in andrew some places in the southern albania and uh, there was this visit visit of nikita khrushchev which was the guy which followed stalin in power and when khrushchev had visited albania he said oh wow okay this is a beautiful country why don't we just make this a holiday resort for our eastern comrades why don't you guys just focus on uh, orange and mandarin production? And why don't you just let us furnish what you is basic for your everyday life, which means cereals. And he also added this expression, which Hoja never forgave to him. He said, what the Albanians eat in one year, uh, Russia, uh, Soviet rats eat in one night. Soviet mice, red, rats, whatever you call them. So. Uh, <clears throat> considered this to be interesting in the beginning, but then later on, I mean, he was worried that Khrushchev was planning to replace him in power with some other people which were closer to him. So he broke with Khrushchev and the break was quite abrupt, you know, and uh, he will never forgive to Khrushchev this expression, this proposal that he did. And so exactly, he did exactly the opposite. You know, he uh, proposed that Albania, which is a country with three-fourths of mountains, you know, and how can we produce grain and cereals, you know, for in a country where maybe corn can can grow, but of course olives and mandarins and oranges and uh, and apples and uh, and fruit, but cereals, you know, there is not much space. You need large spaces to do this thing, you know, and uh, uh, so he did the opposite, and he said like, okay, we will make a country here where. Uh, everything is produced on our own forces where we are self-sufficient and we don't need to lay our hand to beg for, for anything to anyone. So there was this, uh, you know, crazy, crazy thing for a tiny country with limited resources, with some, but limited. And of course, one thing that he also decided to do is that, okay, uh, 
we will close this country to all our Eastern European uh, communist uh, neighbors. They are not good. They call them revisionists, you know, like they are revisioning what Stalin had said and what Lenin taught us and what Marx had uh, dictated for the future of communism. So we will make uh, the cultural revolution ours. And what he did is that he became Mao's best and probably only friend in Europe, maybe, for for about 10 years, you know, and we had these meetings of these guys from the from the Communist Party of China all the time. And we had these uh, Albanian students, which would go to China constantly. We had about 4,000 students going to China in those years. Uh, we had an Albanian cinema production, and this is paradoxical and believe it or not, but uh, it seems like in the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s, there were three cinemas which were allowed to be seen by a Chinese audience. And they were North Korean, apparently Romanian, and Albanian. And uh, <laughs> Case, but hold on, like it's an, uh, an, uh, an audience of hundreds of millions. And this is a tiny country with, uh, you know, uh, almost le probably less than 3 million people, but we still produced a lot of movies. And you know, still as, as an aside, I just want to say, I spent, I've spent some time in Romania, as has Andrew, and everything you're saying reminds me so much. It feels like they had kind of parallel histories in a way. I mean, is there, I mean, obviously you have a more beautiful location, <laughs> but uh, other than that, it seems like there's a lot of connections between uh, the histories. So. Yeah, probably. I don't know. These guys, Ceausescu and Hoja, probably knew a lot about each other, but we, as normal citizens, we knew very little or nothing about Romania. I remember these beautiful looking Romanian volleyball players, which would come to Albania for a volleyball championship, you know, and uh, I remember that, wow, those girls, they are hot. Actually, and uh, uh, but uh, that's all we knew. I remember also there was a big Balkan championship of volleyball again, where Albania was pretty good in those years. And uh, I remember that the gossip had it, it must have been 1988, that, oh, you know, the, the, the Romanian uh, team, they came here and uh, they were buying olive oil because there is no olive oil in Romania. You know, for us, for the very little amounts of the lucky ones which had the chance of going abroad, let's say Yugoslavia or France, you know, usually the diplomats or some of the people which worked in, you know, trade, foreign trade. Albania used to sell frog legs to France at that time quite a lot and snails. Uh, you know, that was like uh, somebody going to the moon nowadays or to Mars, you know, like uh, it was like, uh, and uh, I knew a few of them, you know, here my father had friends, he was an artist. So artists could also go, you know, dancers or in, uh, musicians in some festivals, usually of folk. And, uh, you know, this guy, which is a far away friend of my father, he's going to France. Okay, so uh, my father and my mom and me and my brother, we are going to pay a visit. And he will go in France after three weeks. So today, visits will start and he will have relatives and friends, they will go to his home. And uh, he will have on the table a list of the of uh, a wish list where people can write what do they like him to bring when he comes back from France. Because we thought that, oh, you go to France, this is, you know, so prosperous and you can bring anything. I remember that most of the people would try to be humble, but still ask for something very unusual and very, very, you know, unique for us. What was that? That was either for men, it would be a, a lighter or children. It would be a, 
a pack of chewing gum. There was no chewing gum in Albania. When I was a child, chewing gum was forbidden in Albania. It was too American. I mean, we could see chewing gum on Yugoslav televisions. I remember this beautiful uh, 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 publicity with a big bubble chewing gum and, you know, we could only dream of that. But, you know, my aunt was a doctor. So she was kind of, a, you know, an influential person here in uh, Tirana. He was, she was a, a psychiatrist. She had certain, you know, connections. So from time to time, she would cure the daughter or the son of someone which was important in the ranks of the party or the government. So uh, every time she came to pay a visit to our home, we would just like try to have a look at what she's got in the bag because there is a lot of chances she's going to have a pack of chewing gum. Maybe she's going to give us just one, which happened from time to time, maybe once every nine months or 12 months, you know, which was, a, it was quite an event. So me and my brother, which were the same age, we would take that chewing gum and then, you know, little by little, usually you don't eat all of it because it's going to finish very fast. And, you know, like uh, you want to make the pleasure to make it longer. So we would eat a little bit of it and then you would go out in the in the neighborhood and you need now this is your chance to be the star of the neighborhood you need to to show off you know and the, especially if it's one of those chewing gums which allows you to make a, a bubble i mean this is even better because all the girls are gonna see and you're gonna be the hot guy of the neighborhood <laughs> and chewing gum you know it will lose the taste in 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 a couple of hours you can't afford to just waste the chewing gum for a couple of hours. So you will uh, keep it on your mouth all the time. And then usually I had no hair at the time. You would put it here and you would eat your meal and then you take it off from here and you keep doing it. Or, you know, it's another solution, which is easy. You take a, a, a cup of espresso, put water in it and put your chewing gum. It's going to wait for you until the next morning. And I mean, at school, the teacher would kill you because uh, chewing gum is too capitalist and bourgeois. So you don't want to show off in school, but in the neighborhood or when you go out in the promenade, it's good if you are able to go a little bit like your chewing gum, you know, like- uh, Right, so, so my question then is like, that, that today, I mean, I, I have found this very interesting, not just with you, but with a lot of other people that, that are my age. We're kind of this strange, transitional generation, it seems, where, I mean, you grew up in such a different world than I did. Uh, I'm curious, kids today, how are their lives? Are their lives similar to the lives of my children? Very similar. I'm afraid, yes, very similar, which is fantastic. And I'm happy for my children, you know, like, yeah, our children also want the Adidas, uh, uh, you know, shoes and the uh, I don't know, like mine, they want a lot of things, but uh, you know, I think they, 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 are, they are interested in the same thing. Well, they watch Netflix, they've got mobile phones, they've got uh, clothing is not a problem. You know, like uh, we got an aunt which goes to the States all the time. We got Italy, so we go uh, do shopping. Tirana is full of shopping malls and, and all the kind of clothing that you can. Now, what there is a difference actually between my children and me as a child in communism. I mean, here, uh, when I was a child, we were miserable, but it was a great thing because we were all equally miserable. I mean, there was no much, not much, much difference. There was only a little bunch of people here in Tirana. When you come, I'm going to bring you there. There is a neighborhood which is called the block. And this is the neighborhood where the nomenclature would live, you know, and of course they had nephews and nieces and those guys, I mean, you could recognize them in the streets because they were wearing blue jeans oh. and wearing you know like uh, there was I mean you could be the most ugly person the most bad looking person but you wore blue jeans you were irresistible 
you know, there was nothing sexy as this. Whatever like on your body, but they were they were like uh, I mean, people would pay. I remember these guys from Skodra, uh, maybe three salaries of a year for a pair of blue jeans, which were smuggled, you know, very rarely, not as much as I've heard in Budapest or East Germany. You know, this was very, very rare because if a driver of a transport company, let's say government, was captured with a pair of blue jeans or two, he would be, you know, accused of doing, of smuggle, smuggling and everything. And this would end up in prison, you know, in, the, in, in most cases. Uh, uh, you know, our children, well, I brought my children, I bring my children now on holidays in Italy or in uh, uh, Portugal. We even went to Sri Lanka a couple of years ago and like I look at myself, I'm sitting in a beach in Croatia and there's some Swedish and French and Italian people around me and I'm saying like, am I really the guy from Albania which was just watching this on TV and like I'm doing the same, I'm eating at the same place, staying at the same hotel, driving the same kind of car. So, you know, the world is upside down and the world has improved a lot. But now for children, there are inequalities. And, you know, like you can, you know, it's uh, quite obvious, probably all over the world in a country like Albania, maybe a little bit more obvious, you know, like, uh, but still, there is a great thing that nobody dies of hunger in this country. There is plenty of food available for any kind of economical, uh, uh, let's say, possibilities. And, uh, you know, these kind of things, they don't matter anymore. Now, you know, like uh, we have the same ambitions as you guys have more or less. So Andrew told me that you have a lot of really interesting and unusual experiences in your young life dealing with communism. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a few of those stories. Uh, oh, uh, plenty of things. I mean, there was one thing, as I told you yesterday, cars were forbidden here. They were forbidden. There were no cars. And uh, me and my friend Ol Skarapiti and my friend Man Salabanda, we would come out of school, which would usually happen at 12, and uh, before we would go from school uh, to home or to the neighborhood where we would continue playing for the whole day because, you know, there was not much better to do. Uh, we would stop on the sidewalk. We live right in the city center. So there would be maybe a truck or a government car passing by maybe every 20 minutes or 25 minutes. And, you know, like this is the highest density of uh, traffic, let's say, in communist Albania, it's downtown Tirana. And uh, we would play plates, car plates, you know, and uh, I would pick number seven, Olsi would pick number three, and Mandy would pick number two. And now you need to wait there for a car to pass by. And if you're, the seven is there in, on the plates, I'm scoring a point. And if there is a three, it's Olsi's. And it's a game which doesn't make any sense more anymore because it's full of cars. And, and so that would be one of the games we would play and uh, which were kind of cool. Uh, Saturdays, we used to go on school to school on Saturdays. I don't know if you did, but at that time we did. And uh, I remember that maybe starting by 1986, which meant I was a uh, uh, third degree elementary, uh, I started to leave the last hour on Saturday. Usually it was either physical culture, which would mean gymnastics or, or maybe painting or something like that, which, you know, like it was kind of tolerated. And I used to leave because I knew that at the uh, uh, 10 past 12, if I was good enough at syntonizing, I could find on the radio, on the radio trans transistor, I could find uh, an Italian uh, radio where they would transmit this beautiful program, which I really loved, which we called Imparea. And on Imparea, you could listen to Italian music. And there it's where I listened to the U2 for the first time and the Depeche Mode, Spandau Ballet, Fine Young Cannibals, and all these guys, which I really loved, Madonna, 
And, uh, you know, I, I had goosebumps all the, all the time because it was rock, it was modern, it was rhythmic. Albanian music, meanwhile, it was beautifully melodic, but it was not as rhythmic, you know, it had no rhythm. Plus, you know, uh, I mean, the melodies were beautiful, but the lyrics were really like terrible, you know, like it was all about the party, all about this peasant, all about the cooperative and everything. And um, now I know it was actually the- Wait, wait a second. Albanian rock was all about the peasant and the, the cooperative, really? Albanian rock. There was no Albanian rock. Oh, Albanian, Albanian music, rock. okay. <laughs> no, like uh, there was Albanian music. It was, let's say, we did have some very good efforts in that case and very talented composers. It was very melodic though, you know, it was based on, let's say, a combination of some revolutionary music from the, you know, East and Russia probably, and a, uh, and a lot of influences from the Italian music as well, you know, Italian pop, you know, in Italy, they got this festival, you might know of Sanremo, yeah. every you know, uh, start of the year, and, uh, and we had a similar kind of music, but the lyrics, in most cases, probably 85, 90% of the cases, they were total brainwashing, you know, like it was just, you, uh, you would vomit, you know, like you would vomit if I, those, you know, like, uh, so, uh, so I listened to Maria, which now I know was the hit parade, you know, and this was done secretly. You needed my parents. Yes, I could do it in front of my parents, but if a neighbor was coming home and at that time people didn't knock at the door, you know, like just feel like, uh, oh, it's my home everywhere. And uh, that was, you needed to put the volume down because uh, you didn't want own Spresa, the, uh, the, the, the wife of the commandante of, uh, I don't know which military base, which lived next to us, to listen to that. Because, you know, like she would have, uh, she could have, you know, like uh, in the party meeting of the neighborhood, she could have said that, oh, you know, uh, uh, Elton and his brother, Julian, they listen to capitalist music, you know, and they are not good communists and their families should be more attentive. You don't want to end in that kind of trouble. I mean, in 1986, my father would not end up in prison, but depended, you know, which family you're coming from. And, uh, you know, we were neither victims nor, nor uh, uh, you know, especially persecuted. My father was a musician. My mom was a teacher for mentally handicapped children. So no much political positions, but still, you know, you needed to be careful with all these kind of so you told me that you have a stack, you brought a stack of things next to you that you wanted to show us. So what have you got to show us? Yeah, a few things. Uh, um, well, I got this, uh, you know, since I was a child, I'm probably like my mom. She doesn't like to throw things away. And, uh, you know, I told you yesterday a little bit that I started probably building a dream in tourism and uh, uh, nevertheless that we were poor and didn't have many toys and not many blue jeans and chewing gum. But we still, we had a great way of uh, passing the time. It was, I mean, television was almost non-existent. So we would read a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, because of the Albanian language, which, you know, like it's not so spoken uh, around the world, you better make sure you know some Italian or you know some English or something like that. So I would study English when I was already in elementary school, which was very often the case in my generation. And uh, we had next door, actually, there was Aunt Julie. Aunt Julie was such a nice lady, you know, like she was very good friends with my mom and she was working in the central committee of the party of the party of labor, which was the part, communist party of Albania, the only one, of course. And Aunt Julie was working in the, in the, in the relations department. So she would receive letters and, you know, materials from all over the world. And first of all, I would uh, persecute Aunt Julie with uh, stamps and I have my stamp collection every afternoon at five o'clock i knew on julie was back from from work 
So I would force my brother to go knock at her door and ask if uh, she had brought us stamps. Oh, wow. You know, the used yeah. stamps, the used yeah. envelopes, she would just take off the stamps. And, uh, like, and these guys were probably, you know, having some relations to communist parties in New Zealand, in Sweden, probably a lot, in Denmark. So I have a lot of stamps from all these countries. In the UK, where there was an Albanian communist shop, in France, a little bit, somewhere. No, it's the other album. Uh, that I have that collection is probably valuable. <laughs> I bet that's worth some good money. <laughs> I don't think it's a question. I No, it's not money, rather than, you know, like the real value for these is more sentimental. Absolutely. I don't, no, I was not a good collectioner anyway. Like, uh, And we would go and play with stamps. We would gamble, you know, like you put, for example, two Francis, you could gamble them for uh, for one Finland. Or, uh, you know, there could be a, a stamp coming from Trinidad Tobago. Well, for a Trinidad Tobago, you're going to play uh, 15 Italians, five, five, five Francis, and four Greek stamps. You know, like they will be worth the same value. It's like a just, uh, Pokemon trading cards. Well, that's what's going to happen. Uh, then I have this magazine. And Aunt Julie has brought me a few. I was trying to practice English. She thought it was good. It's called... The new weekly magazine, Canada's national magazine in English and French. And, you know, this is obviously a communist party from Canada, for which probably poor, miserable Albania was probably financing. Because there's two or three articles in here among, you know, Canadian problems and everything, which come from uh, Al the Albanian comrades, you know, the Central Committee of Party people. So they would receive these magazines. And, you know, like there's plenty of little interesting, not really interesting things, but something at the very end of the magazine is pretty cool in my uh, in my perspective at least it's trying to sell a tour to albania <laughs> wow cool look at that eighteen hundred dollars that's a lot yeah and uh, eighteen hundred canadian dollars people have told me that listen this was a lot of money at that time that was. I think I don't know how much you have to pay to go north to North Korea now, but it must have been a similar effort, you know, like uh, probably it was that kind of thing. Just and, to get the permission uh, to come probably was expensive then. Yeah, I have here, uh, I have framed them. These are, uh, we call these Totona. Elton, Elton your, your camera's off. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'm actually. Here we go. You know, yeah, uh, there is still about 20% of battery. I'm so sorry. No, you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, these are vouchers for food. You know, it's not like you go to the shop and you buy as much food as you want. No, the party has given you these vouchers and there is a certain quantity of soap, sugar, meat, of course. Well, meat, meat is not even, not even, they don't even give you much ration for meat because it's not every day that you're going to receive it. And, you know, you will go with this to the shop and she will give you your 200 grams of flour or, uh, you know, 400 grams of sausage. And uh, that's going to be for a family of four or five for the ne whole next week. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, people would invent all sorts of things in order to get a bit more ration. You know, like uh, we were sharing the apartment with my grandfather and uh, we would pretend like, oh, we are... Uh, we are not doing very well together. So we're two families and we would go to the committee of the party and say that, you know, like uh, we need to have our share of sausage because our grandfather is not, you know, he's not very friendly to the family. So, you know, it was just an invention. It was not true, but uh, 
but we needed to invent these kind of things. I will show you, there is a table here where I put in my phone. This is a table actually, which they used in Albanian, uh, uh, at the Albanian television station. And uh, this was made so that when you're receiving a movie from England or Italy, actually they will put the, the negative in this place. There will be a, you know, it's not the whole table here. They will put, and this is the cut and paste table, you know, like uh, they will just uh, go to second. There is also a little machine which will count the seconds. And uh, the lady, which is the editor, she will, uh, she will be ordered that, listen, this movie, it needs to cut, to be cut from second, from minute uh, 64 to minute 67. What happens in those minutes is that these guys, which are American or British, they have this terrible uh, attitude and tradition. They, they tend to, to have sex in movies and, you know, like, uh, or kiss. Kiss and uh, kissing, especially in the 70s when we were friends with the Chinese and we had this uh, 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 cultural revolution, it was considered like pornography. So they would cut off any kind of the of these things, and uh, you know this is a this is a thematic which is really interesting because uh, you know like uh, when I was a child I thought like Kamaraden Verhoja, the leader, I mean he had two sons and a daughter, but wait how did he make them? Because uh, he cannot be such a such a terrible person. He's like an angel. He's God. He doesn't. He shouldn't have sex. You know like they had told us that sex was shameful. Goodness, and, uh, you know, this is not good for the for the masses and for the revolution. So forget about it. You know, like uh, we thought kids would come out of here. You know, like or uh, you know, there was not even this legend of the how do you call the stork bringing the babies. So uh, you know, it was quite a bit of a shock for me understanding. You know, probably a year or two before he died, that you know, Kamarad and Ver does this disgusting thing of uh, you know having his children with uh, by having sex. You know, like. I could understand a little bit of that at that age, and uh, I remember that I, I I I was a bit disgusted by the by this fact, you know, because I would never expect him to do such a terrible thing. Although, you know, later on, of course, I started to be interested in those. I got this photocopy machine, you know, and of course, this would come from the Chinese brothers. It has even a star. I'm not sure if it is visible, and it's a pretty cool, you know furniture thing it is made probably with pressure precious wood and everything it does have a bit of chinese writing here i'm not able to tell what and uh you know like uh, this is quite a uh, something that i'm very proud of my brother a few years ago he used to date one of the nieces of uh, one of the highest ranked members of the politburo and uh, one day uh, his her mom called me she said like i know you you collect these kind of things I got something to throw in the garbage. So come and have a look. And this is what came to me. It is a whole beautiful furniture. It's a radio and it has a gramophone. And she gave it to me together with the whole collection of vinyls of the family. And uh, I actually love that she gave me also, you know, this, this one record. I'm not sure if you can hear, but uh, this is a speech of Stalin. Stalin. Wow. Yeah, not much to hear from, you know, I'm certainly too special. I got these posters. I love the posters from this period, you know, like uh, they are, you know, I, I, I think that there is an interesting aesthetic in this socialist art on one side, but then on the other side, of course, there is always like a, 
party, I think, Party of Labor of Albania. They didn't call it Communist Party here. They called it Party of Labor. And uh, it's always the 8th of March, 1979, when I was three years old. You know, they, you always got these ladies, which, you know, they shouldn't look too femini feminine. You know, they, they need to have these uh, large jaws on jaws. Socialist realism, it was a, a lot about jaws and fists. Fists needed to be big. And they needed to, you know, scare the enemy. The slogans everywhere. This is like the construction of a big fertilizing industry. And it says growing up the production effectivity uh, requires the constant growth of educational level and technical profession, professional technical level of the workers. This is made in 1985. This is the year when uh, the dictator died. And you know, you got these guys and certainly this gentleman here, he seems to be interested in the lady, but you know, like she can't pay attention. She's too busy, you know, studying Marxism and Leninism. She doesn't, she shouldn't, uh, you know, lose focus. And look at the rest of the guys, you know, they're all sitting there and listening and learning. And, you know, like uh, there is no on everything on our own forces, it says here. Yeah. Well, there was also some, you know, like some fun and there is a bit of art which, you know, tried to get out of all those uh, rules. But still, you know, like pretty much everywhere there was all this, uh, you know, like... Uh, uh, fight for the revolution, this fight for, you know, like uh, construction and everything. They tried to produce, you know, like, I mean, Albania sold some chromium abroad, but uh, we also made a bit of fortune by selling what they used to call artistical objects, which ladies generally made here in big enterprises, uh, totally by hand, you know, these were pyrograph, they, uh, it's wood which is burned with a little machine and then it's painted, everything is painted by colors. This is beautiful traditional costumes we got in this country, beautiful dances, beautiful singing, you know, and especially when it comes to traditional costumes, we are very good at that. I got a big collection of, um, of newspapers and, uh, and uh, magazines. They are all about, you know, uh, mainly about, uh, about, you know, brainwashing, brainwashing. There's a bit of funny things, but uh, in general, you know, like these are all about the the brainwashing machine. These are the, the special penalties, you know, and this is where the party is trying to tell you how to, how to put up your bed, for example, how to, con how to dress up, how to think, how, when to wake up, when to, uh, when to stop, you know, uh, working, when to start thinking. And then I got some objects here, and these are mainly from uh, World War II. Actually, this, you know, these guys, the British, during World War II, they used to come to Albania. They were parachuted from the air. Of course, Albania was invaded by the Nazis, so they, it's not like they could come on a, on a plane or something. So they would uh, drop from the sky and they would try to help the local resistance, you know. But, you know, there were thousands of partisans. So these men, all these young uh, boys and girls, which thought that, okay, we're going to go and work for a free world and everything. These guys, they needed to be fed. You know, thousands of partisans, they needed money to be fed. So the British decided that we're going to drop money as well. And it was by golden sovereigns. This was something that in any German Nazi, Nazi occupied country, this is work. And uh, this is one of the tin part of one of the tin boxes, which was loaded with uh, many different, uh, you know, items, mainly weapons, radio machines, but also golden sovereigns. And I have managed to take this from a nearby village from Tirana 
they use this, uh, you know, to cover the cottage of the chicken in that place. <laughs> Talking about World War II, and I'm left with 11% of uh, battery. I will tell you this story and you might be interested in this. I'm, I'm not sure if I can show a, um, a book yeah. from this, the secret rescue. Actually, it's called, and it relates to this moment of the World War II. There is a, you know, Southern Italy is free and it's liberated from the British and the Americans. And what happens is that uh, all the operations for the liberation of the Balkans are led by, uh, from Bari in Puglia, which you know. Uh, and uh, the, there, is a, there is a flight of 14 nurses, two pilots and two doctors. They are flying from Sicily to Puglia. And uh, what happens is that there is a storm and the plane is pushed and it falls in the region of Berat. Okay, in the region of Berat, where we came from today uh, with Andrew, and uh, all of them survive. And there is this is a beautiful story of survival. Fourteen girls. You know, there was a rescue operation in the uh, in the in the Mediterranean. They were looking for the plane. They couldn't find it. It took the girls about five days before they found out uh, that they were they were they had fallen in Albania. They all survived. Meanwhile, you know, in the States, after the rescue operation, the letters went to their families that, listen, your daughter is perished in flight number, ta, 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 and uh, we are very sorry, our condolences. But then, two weeks later, they get in touch with the British operation executives here, which send a message to Barry that, oh, the girls are alive. So, and there is then a three or four month uh, 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 rescue operation, which at the end, you know, ends up by you know, with all the girls surviving. And uh, this is a fantastic story. And I'm really trying to see if there will be a way because it's a story of war and intrigues and, and fight and uh, uh, action, but it's with a happy ending. And I know this is what uh, the American audience loves. And I know this is what the Hollywood loves. So please make sure if you know a producer in Hollywood or anywhere in the States, please <laughs> tell the story to become a movie because it's so beautiful. And there is this lady which is called Kane, Kate Limeberry, which wrote the book, which I believe is a beautiful document. And I really hope it will inspire a story like that because it's a, it's a story about Americans and Albanians. And you know, like it ends with the girls in Bari here showing their worn out shoes, uh, you know, on the difficult terrain uh, and look how smiley and how happy they are. And uh, you know, so yeah. I've got a lot of things here in the collection, you know, like, uh, but, uh, but you need to come here and maybe spend a couple of hours with me. And, uh, you know, I could, I could continue and continue. Albania, there is one thing very special about Albania, which I didn't mention, it's bunkers. Actually, there's bunkers everywhere. When I was a child, this was our playground. We used to, uh, <laughs> we, there was not a place in Albania where you could go and not having a, a uh, 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 bunker inside. It was all over the country, the countryside, the cities, everywhere. And well, if you would Google my name, you, it would come out as a bunker fanatic and I've been accused of being a, a nostalgic or anything. Well, actually what I'm trying to do is trying to use these bunkers as an attraction for American capitalist visitors. And uh, I want Ender Hoja, and I'm sorry to say that, to turn upside down in his grave just because you know, he built these to keep the Americans away and I want to use them to bring the Americans to, to Albania. I mean, Albania is beautiful. It has landscape and nature and uh, history and archaeological sites. 
but there is competition for this all over the region. One thing where Albania has no competition is just these stories, the North Korean style of stories, the paranoia, the, 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 the isolation, and the, and the beauty of the fact that today we are free to talk about all this and to be ironical and to joke with Ember Hoja and uh, I really hope he can listen to us and uh, well, listen, I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I have to tell you, Elton, you are one of the most passionate local guides that I think I've encountered. <laughs> you obviously love your country and you love your topic. And I think we could just keep talking for hours. I just love listening to all of your stories. My son actually never shows up in these coffee chats, but he was just really fascinated. Did you have a question you wanted to ask? Elton? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, what what would uh, I was going to ask about the bunkers because I because uh, I heard uh, from a couple of YouTube videos that I watched that uh, Albania was just full of them. But uh, what would one of these like bunker tours look like? What would uh, like showing American tourists bunkers, what, what would that look like? Yeah, how would well, you use the bunkers? Yeah, most of the time, you know, I try to combine them and I try to understand if people have an interest in nature or if they have a nature, uh, an interest in food or if they have an interest in, uh, 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 in recycling, for example, because there's all sorts of things. Uh, we have a lot around Tirana, it depends. I'm, I can do a day trip around Tirana for bunkers and I can bring you to a bunker where we are right on a lagoon and where fishermen use the bunker to keep their tools. And then I can bring for lunch in a place like where we went today. The goats are kept in a bunker tunnel, actually, and where <laughs> wine in a bunker. Uh, wine, that's a good idea. Bunker wine. <laughs> bunker wine, yeah, that's what uh, what we try to experience today, actually. And, uh, uh, you know, I can also bring you in a long tour around Albania. You know, like, uh, it's great and bad at the same time how this story of which ended 30 years ago it is also just becoming archaeology and from eventually 170,000 bunkers we had in the country when I when I was a child uh, we have a few thousands nowadays so you need to be good at knowing where they are and you need to be good at knowing uh, what people are doing with the remaining ones and uh, modesty apart here we know a little bit about all those you know what? I could just, like I said, I could listen to you for hours. The comments that are coming up on this on this live stream, everybody agrees we could listen to you for hours. So I'm gonna, sure. I'm just gonna make a commitment to you right now. I'm gonna come to Albania and visit you because I want to hear all of your stories, and I think we should run an Albania tour maybe next year or the year after. So I would love to come and bring a group. Can I come? Absolutely. And my son wants to come. <laughs> I want to come. <laughs> You better do. I always tell children, bring your children in Albania. I'm going to tell them the stories so that they have reasons to complain a bit less, you know, like because, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes even here for my, my children, we feel so sad about such unimportant things, you know, and uh, come to Albania because, uh, you know, it, it's good to understand how much you've got, but how little you notice and you see those things, you know, those, those little things. It's probably not just Albania, but, you know, you were actually, I was thinking that exact thing because you were telling the story about your gum. And I was thinking when I was about the same age as you at that time, my family was very poor. They lost a lot of money and we were all living in a tiny apartment and we all had to have jobs to try and pay the rent. And I thought I've had more of a poverty story than most people that I know, but that was not anything compared to the way you grew up. Like even the, the poorest of us have a certain level of privilege in comparison to your yeah. story growing up. Yeah. had a very, very important amount of freedom, which, you know, it was, uh, I mean, that was the real problem here. It was not 
economical poverty. It was more of the freedom, you know, like to, that was the real problem, to be honest, you know, because poverty, I mean, my God, now we have more money than we ever dreamed of. And I'm telling you, we feel more miserable than ever. Uh, and that's, that's exactly, that's funny you say that, because that's exactly the thing I've been meditating on that time when my family was really poor actually is a really happy time in my memories. We had a lot of fun. And in a and I've been trying to explain this reverse concept to my kids that sometimes when you have more, you actually have less. In a you have less, exactly. Sarah, I've got another 2% of the battery. All right, so yeah, we got to go. Yeah. You yeah, are amazing, Elton. Thank you so much for this wonderful chat today. It has been fantastic and fascinating. I'd love to have you on again. So thank you so much for sharing with I, us. Uh, I apologize once again for my very poor technical uh, issue, uh, like uh, uh, no, capacity. No. Next time I'll be a bit better than that. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope to see you in Albania one day soon. I know Andrew's going to try to drag me to Albania uh, in, a, in a month or two. So hopefully we'll see you soon. Yeah, that's Great, and come, this is open. And as I told you yesterday, I doubt there is many European countries which are as American enthusiastic as us. They all love Europe, but uh, I think we are one of the biggest lovers and for good reasons. And I'm gonna tell you again. George Bush in, uh, in uh, the center of town. Yeah, there is a George W. Bush road and there is a Woodrow Wilson statue in one of the most important squares. And then there is a, uh, I mean, there is a George W. Bush uh, uh, square and statue in the nearby village of uh, Fushkruya. It is the only <laughs> place where, when he was a president, people were fighting, but just to hug and kiss him. Just Google this, look on YouTube, say George W. Bush, Fushkruya. Wow. And you, you know, like he didn't want to leave. His gorillas needed to pull him out because, uh, you know, everybody was, uh, yeah, he was so excited about all that, you know, like he loved it. <laughs> okay, that is a fabulous little anecdote to end on that it's the land where George W. Bush has his own statue and is loved. It might be the only place in the world. You know, like you yeah. like him or you like him in international politics. To us, he brought a great American message, you know, and a great American help. So why not? Yeah, no, that's great. I think his image has been rehabilitated, so that's great. Well, thank you so much, Elton. We hope to see you again so much, and thanks for treating Andrew and treating Andrew around. We're so happy to present Albania to everybody watching. So all of you who are watching, just to let you know, I'm going to be doing Cucina Quarantena tomorrow with an Albanian recipe that I hope Elton's going to send to me. So we need some kind of recipe, and I'm going to cook tomorrow some Albanian food for you, and then we'll continue exploring the Balkans with Andrew for the rest of the week. So thanks, everybody, for watching, and thank you so much again, Elton.